Welcome to the Big Fellas Podcast, where we chop it up about all things past, present, and future about the game of basketball. Where facts, stats, and context reign supreme. That is blasphemous. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. Always keep it real. Get ready to learn from players, coaches, and fans from all levels of the game and see the court in a brand new way. And now, fresh off the sidelines, here's your host, John Hartofillis. What it do, fellas, and welcome to the Big Fellas Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, J.H., coming to you from New York City, the mecca of basketball. Today, right before a pivotal Game 4 of the 2020 NBA Finals, I'm excited to be joined by Ernest Scott, assistant coach for the South Bay Lakers. Coach Scott has both played and coached across all walks of the basketball world, crossing paths with some unlikely legends of the game along the way. We've got a good one in store for you today, fellas. Episode number 19, Ernest Scott, South Bay Lakers. Coach Ernest, what's going on? Man, glad to be here, John. I appreciate you having me on, brother. I appreciate you coming on. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today, and I I think our listeners are going to learn a lot about it. So just real quick, just to start off, if you could uh, walk us through your basketball journey and just kind of the steps you took through that journey. Sure. Um, So I was born in in Greenberg, New York, which is up in Westchester County, just outside of New York City. Kind of came up there through the community center, played ball, um, went to Woodlands High School in that area, then moved to uh, the Atlanta area in 10th grade. Went to Marietta High School. It was it was crazy. It was like going from high school to college. In school Woodlands, we had like four or five hundred kids. Going to Marietta, where there were over two thousand. Um, you know, ninety nine, which was my junior year, we won the state championship in Georgia. We had a cat named Ezra Williams, who was to me one of the more underrated guys in the history of like Georgia high school basketball. But you know, he carried us, man. He, he was a big time player. We won state. Um, my senior year, we had a pretty good year. Lost in the Elite Eight. And, um, you know, there wasn't really much for me. You know, I was, I started a handful of games in high school. I wasn't by no means a star or anything like that. Um, had a couple of JUCOs, a couple of Division II schools, um, you know, but I was blessed. I grew a little bit. I ended up being like 6'6 by my senior year. Got an opportunity to um, to try out at a Division II school, Valdosta State down in South Georgia. The head coach was at the College of Charleston. He had recruited somebody else that that I went to high school with and, when he got the job in Valdosta, I got the opportunity to go down there and worked out, did really well, got a scholarship and just worked my way up, man. Four years, eventually kind of went from being like the 12th, 13th man on the roster to being all, first team all-conference team MVP. We were 24 and two regular season my senior year. And, you know, it was it was a great ride down there. And um, after that, you know, I was just kind of at a crossroads. I didn't know if I was gonna, I had an opportunity to go work for Bank of America um, I had an opportunity to to get into coaching or, you know, try to pursue the basketball. I did a couple of exposure camps, man. Um, I remember my senior year, I would go up to the to the press box and just cut tapes. You know, back then you didn't have it was so hard to send. You know, you're sending VHS and not even DVDs. You know, back in 2004, so just cutting tapes, man. I went on the Eurobasket.com and like sent emails out to like every coach, every team I could find. A handful of them hit me back. You know, I went up, made a, um, cut my own highlight tapes, about 12, 13 VHSs, sent them out to coaches in Europe, agents in Europe here, you know, whoever responded to me and and got a hit. Went to a couple of exposure camps. There was one in particular up, at, up in Richmond at VCU at the time, which was really good, had some really good players. And a, a scout in Germany saw me, referenced me to an agent. 
And um, I ended up playing in second division Germany, you know, out of college, got the opportunity and, um, you know, just worked my way up, was there for, for three or four months, had some stuff going back home. I had to leave, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I ended up going to Luxembourg. You know, I got another opportunity, played in Luxembourg, which is, it's a great country. It's, um, you know, it's funny, the foreigners at that time, there was only one American per team and you were the professional. Everybody else were like teachers and bankers and stuff. But, um, you know, it was a nice, uh, small, it was really a city, like a city kind of country, like a municipality. But, you know, they love ball. It was one of the few countries where basketball was kind of the natu national sport. So, um, you know, played there, had a big year, ended up in Switzerland the next year, did well, then went on to play first division Germany my third year. Then after that, man, played in this league called the USBL. It's a defunct kind of minor league. And, man, so I played for the Oklahoma Storm. Our head coach was Brian Gates, who was an assistant with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And our assistant coach was Nick Nurse. And this was the summer of 2006. Yeah, he was the assistant. Um, there was another team called the Dodge City Legend that had Dale Osborne. He was the head coach. He's an assistant with the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, the team, the Nebraska Cranes, who won the championship, had a coach, Brian Walsh, who's actually with me in South Bay right now. He's um, one of my fellow assistant coaches there. So, I mean, just, you know, after that, kind of playing for Coach Gates and Coach Nurse, Coach Gates got an opportunity with the Idaho Stampede in the, in the D League back then. Um, you know, gave me an opportunity to come up, did the open tryout thing. This is back when you're doing the three tiers, $13,000, 19000 25 You know, coming in the league, nobody really ever heard of me. So um, I did the did the seat contract, man, uh, Thirteen grand for the season, man, living in Boise, Boise, Idaho, freezing my butt off, practicing in a Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, just on that journey, um, you know, was there for the first year. They won the championship. I actually left. I played 42 games that first year and left. I got an opportunity to go to New Zealand and make some more money. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll kind of get into the dynamics of the of the D League, especially at that time. But we had a bunch of guys get sent down from the NBA, and you know, it was it was it was interesting. It was an interesting time. Um, so after New Zealand, came back, um, got drafted again by the Stampede in the second round of the, of the draft, I didn't have to do a tryout. So I actually got a B contract, which was 19 grand played. And then it was kind of the same, same story. Had a bunch of guys get sent down again. So I got an opportunity. I got traded to the Rio Grande Valley Vipers and I was able to establish myself as one of the better shooters in the league. I went to the three point contest. That's one of the things they were doing back then. They used to include the D league and the NBA all-star weekend. Um, they would have like a D league slam dunk contest and, I mean, it was legit. Like I'm, James White was in it, Brent Brent Petway. Like it was like almost NBA level, you know, the dunk contest. So um, did a three point contest, lost in the finals to Blake Ahern that year. Um, finished the year with RGV. Ended up going back when the Rockets took over. They were the first team to do the the hybrid deal. At that time, the Lakers had owned the Defenders. They outright owned the team, and the Spurs owned the Austin Tor Toros. And the NBA team outright owned it. They did everything. But this hybrid deal was where the Rockets did all the basketball operations. And the um, the Vipers had a local ownership down in South Texas. And they handled all the tickets and all that type of stuff. So it was it was something new. And play for Chris Finch, who was associate, who was associate head coach of the Pelicans. And he's up for the Rockets job right now. Um, so play for him. We won the championship. I kind of knew that the NBA dream was probably over for uh, six, seven, stretch four, you know, Draymond hadn't come around yet. So that wasn't really something that was, that was in vogue. <laughs> I 
was probably about five years too early. Um, so then I went and played in Greece, man, played in Peristeri, um, had a really good first year, you know, went to the playoffs and was kind of on like an all newcomers team out there, re-signed. And then that's kind of when stuff hit the fan out there, the, the economy went under in Greece. So then it was from there, I went and played with another team, Elisiakos, that was in Athens. And I got to see Giannis, like when he was playing in second division, it's funny, the team, one of my teammates, a young kid was like, yo, there's this dude, you got to see this African like kid, man, that's like 16 and like 6'9", and his arms touching the floor. And man, it was Giannis. I remember going, watching one of his games, and it, it was just, it wasn't fair. <laughs> but he was really raw at the time, man. But he, you could tell, like, if he figured it out, man, he was going to be just special. And he was. Um, so after that, man, went to Argentina. Actually, I went back to Reno to the G D League, played in Reno for like a month in New Zealand, then Argentina, was there for a few months, Venezuela. And then I went back to Greece when kind of things got a little better with the economy, um, was in Colossos, had a really good run down there. Um, then after that, got my opportunity to play in the ACB with Funlabrada, you know, got to play against uh, Luca. A lot of, I mean, Sadoransky, Abrines, um, this dude, man, um, Kuzminskis, who played in the NBA for like a little bit, went to the Knicks the next year. Um, the Herman Gomez brothers, they were both still in Spain. So a lot of, a lot of like NBA guys were, um, were in the league at that time. We had a great year in Fuen Labrada, played in the, um, made the playoffs, made the Copa del Rey, beat Real Madrid that year at home. So it was like one of the, one of the better years. And then after I went and played in Limoges, um, spent about, spent about four months in Limoges out in France, you know, historical club, a really good coach. Um, this guy Dule, um, Bujosevic, who was like from Partizan, but he had some health problems at the time. But man, he he just knew he knew a ton. Man, he he was it's great to play for. Had an injury, uh, messed up my plantar fascia, and then it was just kind of I was done at by the time I was thirty seven years old, and you know just kind of moved on and and just went on my coaching journey. Well, that's awesome. There's obviously so much to unpack there. Just I mean, really, yeah. like there, there's so much, and there's so much that I I didn't know from uh, reading up on you before this. I have my mic muted uh, while you're talking just to make sure that there's no feedback. But when you said Nick Nurse, I was like, oh my, okay, my, my eyes popped. I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah. What, what was that like kind of just being coached by, by someone that in the last few years, he's kind of just gone from complete no name to coach of the year and one of the best coaches in the league. Like, what, what was that like for you even back then? Like, did you see it coming? Man, um, <laughs> not at that level. But I will say like, after that, playing against him in the G League, when I'm mean, the D League at the time when he was with Iowa and when they started winning and everything, you kind of were like, wow, like, yeah, he, he he's on to something. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's going to be all right. But um, but the, the crazy thing, he's pretty much the same dude, man. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I, you know, like most about him and admire most about him is like he never really changed. Um, you know, he's, he's a basketball lifer, man. He would just be, you know, him and Coach Gates were just in the apartment all the time, man, just watching basketball, you know, videos, film, different stuff. He, he's a lifer, man, and he played the game. He, he was a really good player, and, you know, he was like a player coach for a long time out in, um, I think he was in the U.K. for a while doing that and just kind of grew, but he definitely had a mind for it, man, and um, and he wasn't afraid. Like, he, he would try anything, you know, we would try anything, so... Um, you know, once it's, it's, it makes sense now, um, you know, his creativity is amazing, but the biggest thing is like his fearlessness and his trust in players. And then just, 
you know, his ability to kind of, you know, throw caution to the wind and, and, and trust his instincts and trust his work. So, I mean, I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled for him. Well, that's awesome. And yeah, he's definitely, when you say fearless, he's not afraid to throw out a box in one of the NBA finals and everyone's like, why, why is he doing that? And then it works. Um, right. cause, he, cause he's like, he's not afraid to do that kind of stuff. And then the thing I thought was really cool was when you brought up your, your time in Greece for, for Betty Steady and Coloso. So I'm actually, I'm from Greece. For those that can't see, there's a Giannis jersey behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had other people on the show too, that have, have uh, said some pretty funny things about like the one word that always got them around everywhere. Do you kind of, do you, can you kind of tell what I'm trying to say? The, the one word? <laughs> <laughs> well, the one word I heard all the time was Malacca. I heard a lot of bad, <laughs> other bad words that I probably, well, I mean, I maybe could say on here, but if people wouldn't understand, but yeah, I learned a lot of bad words over there. That's for sure. Um, yeah, crazy fans, but you know, most craziest passionate fans ever in the, in the world. They're really like basketball fans and basketball like lifers. If they can get to a Panathinaikos Olympiakos game, you know, one time in their lives, man, that, you know, at, especially at Owaka, it's the Olympiacos stadium's a little harder, but if you can get into Owaka, the Olympic stadium where they had the, the Athens Olympics and, and go to one of those games, um, that was one of the best. I went, I went a few times, um, but in particular, it was 2012. And then I got to go to they, the EuroLeague quarterfinal against Barcelona the year they, the last year uh, Pantanaikos won it, which was 11. And that's when, um, Barcelona had Rubio still. That was like the last year before Rubio came to the NBA. They had Joe Ingles, um, Allen Anderson. They were they were loaded. Panathinaikos won, but that was. I mean, people were sitting like we would have. If a fire would have broke out, everybody would have died because it was. I mean, it was probably. I think it's like built for like eighteen thousand. It had to be twenty two thousand people in there. People were sitting on the aisles and everything. It was crazy. <laughs> That's hilarious. And no, yeah, that was a really good team. That was the year with Diamantidis and when Nick Calaitis was like, what, he must've been like 22, 23. Was really yeah, good. yeah, he was fresh out because he was there and then his little brother was in, with, with Colosos, uh, the one that went to St. Joseph. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, he was playing. But um, yeah, man, and then like Mike Batiste, Drew Nicholas, um, were the Americans, um, gosh, they had Romain Sato. They were, they were loaded, man, absolutely loaded. No, definitely. I mean, and when you're talking about the energy, um, we went to the Panathinaikos Barcelona game. I think it was last year. It was the trip last year was end of April. Yeah. Um, and we went to, it was like one of the last games of, this, of the year and it had a lot to do with their playoff seating. Uh, and I remember the funniest thing was one of the other uh, fathers on the trip. So I, I was coaching this year was one of the other fathers was seeing all these, like whether, whether it was the flares or the chanting. And he was like, is this stuff legal? Like how, how does this happen? There was, it was, it was funny. Uh, definitely a good time. And like the energy is is just completely unmatched by anything. I mean, you would never see that uh, at an NBA arena. It's probably a good thing. Uh, right. You'll never see that in an NBA arena, but it's also just an experience that, you know, right. it's, yeah. it's really unique to Greece. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I got a, I, I, I got a funny one, but um, Panionios, they've actually, they were like, like Euro Cup. They were pretty good, but they had, their gym was like, there were bleachers on one side. Like it was kind of like a big high school gym with bleachers on one side and then like the other side was just the benches and the scores table nothing just a wall so contested game I hit a three to basically win it like we were up one end of the shot clock it was like maybe six or seven seconds I hit a corner three we win the game and to get into the locker room you got to walk under their fan like their fan club that's that's tough that's (laughs) Well, I'm standing there like kind of dapping up my guys and we're kind of celebrating. And then like, I just like a couple of the Greek, I see the Greek guys like pulling their shirts over their heads, like, you know, and they're, they're shooting shirts. 
and the coach just like grabs me and they had like one of the, the, it was the first little tunnel thing I've ever seen where they have the tunnel that they'll pull out and it kind of yeah. like extends like out onto the court and then next thing you just like Sprite bottles and, and batteries and <laughs> they're just throwing coins, just like pelting us as and just like we're trying to run like off the court. And it was, it was the craziest thing, dude. So it's not, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of stories like that from, from friends of mine that, that play over there. And it's, it's always, uh, it's crazy to think about because like you would just never, obviously never deal with that or see that here. Right, but, right. Yeah. No, it's awesome about your playing career. And then, and then once you kind of decided to, to stop playing, what kind of sparked that coaching journey for you? You know, I just, I, I love the game. Um, and it was just it was something I was interested in, something I thought I'd be good at. Um, you know, a lot of people I played for and coaches I played for thought, man, well, you know, look at me, one day you're going to be a coach, one day you should really, you know, see about doing it. So, you know, it was something I felt like I could do well and, and pursue at a high level. So, yeah, it just kind of felt like a natural fit. No, awesome. And then can you explain kind of the skill factory? I saw that on your profile. I wasn't really sure uh, what it was. And yeah, it was really uh, cool. man, the skill factory, it's, it's, it's grown like, man, it's grown like a weed in Atlanta. Um, it's kind of along the like Rico Hines, like how, yeah, how he does it out in LA, you know, with his, with his deal. Um, you know, Luke has his spot down in Houston and it's kind of becoming the Atlanta spot where, where NBA guys go and work out. Um, you know, it just kind of started as like a, a training deal, you know, for basketball. We had a couple of travel ball teams and and then we had a summer where like James Harden comes through. And um, it was like a lot of local pros, guys that were playing overseas. And, you know, as a player, I would just go there and work out. And, you know, they had good runs. You know, it was tough to find really good organized runs in Atlanta with referees. And the thing was, it was like, that's where everybody in the NBA went in the summer. Like everybody came to Atlanta but it was hard to find, you know, places to really get a good run. So the, the skill factory really filled that void. And it just kind of started with, you know, James Harden and John Wall. And then you had like a lot of the Hawks at the time, those guys were coming through, you know, from Kyle Korver to, you know, Torian Prince to Bazemore, Ken Bazemore when he was in. And, you know, even now recently this summer, and it's funny, I can't go now because they've got a lot of pre-draft guys, um, but, you know, even having young guys like Malik Beasley was going there before people really heard of him. Um, you know, Wendell Carter before he went to Duke, that was a place, you know, he got his game right. So a few young guys panned out and a few, you know, NBA guys came and, and then now it's just become a, a really big deal. They've, they've had like Denny Avija there, uh, Maladone, the, the, the French guy, um, and, and a bunch of other like probable lottery picks, you know, that that have come through and worked out there in the summer. The guy, Jeremiah Boswell, who runs it is, you know, is a great basketball guy, but he's probably one of the best people like around. He um, does a ton of stuff for the NBA from basketball without borders to um, some of their, their international academies. Like I know he's been like to India and he's been down in Brazil and, and um, they got a great prep program. So it, it's grown, man. It, it, it's, it's really a monster down here in Atlanta, but um, you know, they, they really gave me an opportunity to the coach to, to coach travel ball. Um, they had a really good relationship. I got an opportunity to go with Shenzhen, the Shenzhen Leopards of the, uh, the Chinese Basketball Association, you know, through them. I got to go out there for a summer. I worked with one of their guys, like kind of after I was done, it was like February, March. I wasn't really sure what was, I was kind of between my injury and do I want to go back and play or do I want to, you know, am I going to hang it up and went up there and got to work with, they had a couple of Chinese guys come and they felt like the kit guy improved. Worked with them for like, you know, six weeks. 
And then they invited me to come through the summer. So I got to coach. They had a, um, they do what's called like the China games, which is kind of like a goodwill games type deal that we do here in the States. And um, it was an under 19 team and we ended up winning it. You know, we won the China games and um, I had an opportunity to, to stay and coach the CBA team. But, you know, my son, was, my son was being born at the time and they wanted me to make the commitment. And I wasn't, I was trying to get home and be, be with my, uh, my newborn son. So it didn't really work out, but it was, it was just great. And um, yeah, so, I mean, the skill factory is, is really, you know, they're really top of the market here in Atlanta when it comes to like just a great pro run and then a great place for guys to work out. So then once you transitioned to the, to the G league, uh, what was that kind of like for you going from a place where you kind of had a more set roster to the G league where everything's constantly changing? Well, <laughs> well, playing in the G league helped. It, it, it definitely helped prepare me for, you know, the roster turnover. And that's, that's one of the more kind of difficult or underrated things when, you know, when it comes to a G league, when you look at a team, like, well, you know, what's going on. And, you know, our season kind of said it all. We, we went over January, you know, um, we had, we had Gary Payton Jr. I mean, Gary Payton the second, excuse me, at the beginning of the year, um, we had Demetrius Jackson who ended up leaving. We had a bunch of guys, we had guys who left, guys who got hurt, didn't win a game in January, pick up Pierre Jackson and Wayne Selden and then, Coach Kobe gets coach of the month in February. So um, just it, it's, it's like that with a lot of teams, man. It's, you know, that continuity of not only going up and down, guys going up and down from the NBA, but injuries and guys coming in, guys getting bought out. Um, you know, it's a constant, it's the constant thing. And as a player, when I w- went through that, I didn't handle it as well as I wish I had. And just coming from it from that perspective, it just kind of gave me a better feel and a better understanding for really how to communicate to, the guys that are on your roster, like, hey, just just ride the storm. You know, you'll get your chance. Things, you know, it, it changes so much. You know, you, you just got to be ready. Oh, no, of course. And it's like when you uh, talk about how you can have a winless January and then your coach wins coach of the year in February, that's that's uh, pretty really interesting because that, that really is almost impossible to happen in the near the league. Right. And I was actually at the uh, – when you guys played the – uh, Long Island Nets on January 22nd. I, I went to that game. Yeah, it was it was a rough game. And I didn't want I, yeah, but I was there because I went with the like, Greek League to go watch uh, Costa play. So we all went. We, we, we pulled to the game. And one of my uh, really good friends actually knows Costa from Greece. So when we walked in, he said hi to him. Costa came to us afterwards. So we had a great time. But I mean, I know that that game was really rough because it was it was during it was in a rough stretch. I just I mean, and it was also cool like, after the game. I know we don't ask for pictures with a lot of pl- players, but Andre Andre Ingram was out, and I really um, so I didn't make the basketball team at Xavier High School my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, and I, I made it as a senior. Mm-hmm. And then right around that time is when he had his huge explosion with, uh, against the Rockets when he scored, okay. I think it was 22 points. And mm-hmm. he's just a guy that uh, embodies hard work. I don't know if you want to talk about like your relationship with him and how you've kind of seen that. Yeah, um, man, Dre is Dre's another one. He he's such an amazing dude, man. He he is one of the the best people in the in the G I'm sure one day they they'll have to name some type of award after him man um but like it's it's crazy to like have somebody that I played against as a player and back when they had the Utah Flash um <laughs> he's the same he's the same type of player and I mean that in, in a great way like he's he's still in great shape he takes care of himself man he he works his behind off you know, obviously he's so valuable as a shooter, but just his experience, his his professionalism and and just just the type of person and teammate he is, man, you just really couldn't ask for anybody better. That was that was that's one of the great moments, you know, for, for South Bay or, you know, L.A. defenders, that, you know, just in the history of the club for him. 
to have that opportunity and to go out there on national TV and light it up the way he did, man, I, it couldn't have happened to a better dude. He definitely deserved all of that and more. Uh, that's a perfect way to put it. And it, it was a beautiful moment. Uh, I remember like the next day on Instagram, I saw so many like mix it, mixes to it. And it was, it was beautiful. And then also with, with Gosta, kind of, it was coaching him this year when he was on a two-way go, going in and out, but then also, you know, contributing for you guys as much as he could as well. Man, Costas has so much like potential and upside, man. I mean, 6'11", just lanky, athletic, you know, man. And he's, and he's pretty skilled and he's gotten so much better. It was funny. We sat down as a staff and watched him when he was with the Texas Legends the year before and just how far he's come, um, you know, in, in a year, like how much better he's gotten, you know, all the things he was able to do. And, um, man, he, he, you know, he works his butt off. I, there's a few times I remember like being in the facility late, like doing work and, um, you know, getting ready to leave or going up to the window and he's out there on the gun shooting, you know, he, he's, he's out there by himself, 10 30, 11 at night, like working on his game and stuff. So, um, you know, he, he gets, he gets all the credit, man. He, he you know, he puts in work, he, he's steadily improving and, you know, if he, he continues, man, he, he's on the path where he can he can have an impact in the league. You know what I mean? I know everybody always, well, you're not your brother or you're not this. But, you know, he's his own player. And, um, you know, he has an opportunity to make his own name in the league. And, and man, he can, you know, he can really, he really has potential to be pretty good, man. If if he just continues on the path he's on and continues with his work ethic, you know, that was I was really impressed by that. He definitely has a hunger and he wants to be good. And that's that's half the battle in this thing. I feel like it's becoming a theme where there are just there's a lot of uh, hard workers or grinders down there in South Bay, which is just great to yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. That's that's awesome. Transitioning from that to the um, what's your relationship kind of like as a affiliate team with the, the the pro team in the Lakers and like what they're doing now in the bubble? You guys kind of as coaches in involved in that at all? Is there is there kind of a connection between the two, or are they kind of more separate? Well, um, I'll answer your second question first we're not really doing much with the bubble um you know it's kind of them they're limited on staff anyway that can be there um you know we're kind of doing more from the scouting side and you know kind of taking that off of those guys' table and letting them focus on getting this championship this year you know so that's that's been cool it's been a been a learning experience you know tedious looking at looking at a lot of film over over a lot of prospects but um in terms of like what they're doing and game planning and stuff like that, you know, they're doing their thing. They're doing a hell of a job, um, you know, Coach Vogel and those guys. And um, in terms of our relationship, though, like pre-bubble and just, man, I couldn't ask for anything more. For us to be in the facility, our offices are literally next door. Um, you know, we're able to go down. They practice before us, so we're able to go down and watch their practices and be around those guys. I've learned so much from Phil Handy. You know, he's he's the best player development guy in the league. If somebody wants to argue with me, that's fine. But he's, for my money, he's the best player development guy in the I mean, Kyrie Irving, Siakam, Van Vliet, the guys he's worked with, obviously LeBron, Kobe, um, you know, his, his, his book of work, you know, speaks for itself. Um, and he, he just, he was so great. He was open to share knowledge. All of them were all the coaches, uh, Jay Kidd, um, Coach Penberthy, Miles Simon, Q Crawford, um, you know, Coach Hollins, all those guys were, were just amazing. And, you know, uh, Coach Vogel was so awesome. In the preseason, we got to sit in on their meetings and, and just kind of be there, soak it up, take it all in. Um, 
And then just the involvement with having a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker, who was, you know, their second round draft pick, but was with us most of the year. And, and to see him kind of do his thing in the bubble a little bit, you know, get that run against Houston and do his thing, you know, was, was awesome. But um, in terms of like a situation to, to learn, you know, some teams really don't have their G League, their G League staff around like that. Some coaches would never have their G League staff in meetings and stuff like that or around the practices. You know, some staffs are in different cities. Some G League teams are obviously in different cities than their NBA team. So for us to be there, not only be in the same city, but the same facility, our offices right there, our, you know, our practice facility right there and be able to soak that all in, that's that's invaluable, man. I, I mean, I feel like I've got three years worth of learning and three years worth of information in one year for real. That's fantastic. And it's, it's obviously awesome you guys are able to have that relationship. And, and yeah, exactly, that's exactly what I meant was in terms of how, you know, the scouting responsibilities have been passed off onto you guys and they're just all be- uh, hell-bent on winning that championship, which is, which is just great. So just to wrap up, just some a little bit more of these kind of insightful uh, questions. Can you kind of, uh, what, what's been the highlight of just of your short time coaching in just this one year? Uh, what's kind of been that highlight for you? And then at the same time, the most difficult thing for you to overcome in the, during that same year? Man, um... The highlight was was February, the the, the coach of the month thing. Um, from where we were, I, I mean, I remember like being on the plane home. Actually, no, I'll say that that was a rough flight from where we flew back from Long Island after we basically had four guys because at the end of that game, we finished with Jordan Caroline had to stay on the court because he tore his groin with about three minutes left. He had to stay on the floor. Oh, really? I, I didn't know he was hurt. I, I, knew, I, I remember he fell. I didn't know he was hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's crazy. We left. That was the end of a four-game trip where we left with 10 players. We lost Travis Travis Ware um, tore his ACL. Andre Ingram tore his pec. Um, Jordan tore his, uh, tore his groin. Um, Davis Stockton hurt his hamstring. Like, we lost all of our – we lost, like, our whole – Wow. Yeah, we lost a lot of guys. So we were we basically came back on the plane with four healthy players, and then we just got Wayne Selden, who met us in Long Island, but obviously he didn't play. Um, so I remember we got back, and him and Pierre joined us, and we were playing Fort Wayne. And you kind of felt like, okay, you know, we're finally back home. We got a couple of guys. And then, like, Fort Wayne just blew our doors off. And I just remember being so demoralized, like, God, like, you know, is, <laughs> are we going to win again? Like, are we going to win another game? Um, you know, it was, it was, it was rough, man. That was, but, um, coming back from that in, um, you know, February and, you know, Pierre got right and he was awesome. Um, you know, Wayne Selden, and he won us a game up in Iowa and just like, we finally got Devontae Kaycock back when he got healthy, he went back to being his 20 and 10 guy. And then we got David Stockton healthy. Like we finally, that's, that's what was so frustrating about the, um, about COVID was that we finally had kind of saw like, cause we felt like coming into the season, we had a really good team and we felt like we had a chance to really, you know, really do something. But um, uh, we were kind of like, right. I think we had to pretty much went out to make the playoffs. We had dug ourselves in such a hole, but it was just really satisfying to see like, dang, we were, we really were pretty good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You guys definitely turned it around big time. And it's obviously um, upsetting to have it ended by short by COVID, but um, just knowing that you guys were able to do that, just to have that turnaround is obviously just really cool. Yeah. Um, so just the last thing I wanted to ask you is what advice would you give to young aspiring coaches hoping to be in a position like yours one day? Man, um, your network, your network is number one, man. That's, that's the biggest thing. You, you obviously got to know what you're doing. Um, Jay, Jay Hernandez, who's an assistant with, um, with the Charlotte Hornets, 
he's a New York guy, went to Hofstra um, from Long Island. You know, he, he always said it best, like your knowledge and hard work, that's, that's the price of admission. Like everybody has that, but you, you gotta have your network, man. Um, you know, after I came home from China, I kind of missed a year um, just, you know, being out of sight and out of mind. You know, that was 17. Then the next year, you know, I had kind of met Taylor Jenkins. He played, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, he coached the um, the Austin Toros, the Spurs affiliate before. So he was in Atlanta. I kind of had a relationship with Darvin Ham. I knew him a little bit. And those guys were in Atlanta at the time. So I got to come around and kind of talk with them. And I thought I was going to have an opportunity to get in the video room. And then, like, I remember, I'll never forget, I'm just chilling, see on Center that Coach Bud is leaving the Hawks and going to the Bucks and taking the staff with him. So, of course, my opportunity to get in their video room because I, I wasn't going up to Milwaukee with them. So, you know, kind of missed on that and um, just just had to get out, just had to get out and and, and meet folks and network and um, and go. Man, it, it's such a tragedy that the NBA Summer League, because that's so huge. I tell you, if you can get to the NBA Summer League, if you can get the showcase is cool, All-Star Weekend is cool, but the, the Summer League is like a job fair. It's really like a basketball coach's job fair, to, you know, to get out there to network. You have everybody between Cox Pavilion and, and um, Thomas and Mack. It's really one building, you get, and everyone is there. GMs, um, you know, director of basketball operations, VPs, not just here, but you know, of hundreds of overseas teams. You know, everybody's at summer league. All the G League, you know, executives, coaches, and everything. So, like, make that happen. Like. I don't care if you got to take a train to Vegas, like make, make that happen, get to Vegas, you know, when this thing starts again, um, you know, once we kind of get back to normal, hopefully next summer we'll, we'll have a summer league and everything, but that was huge, man. Um, so I kind of, I had 2018, I was selling cars, man. <laughs> I was, I was working at a Chevy dealership. Um, you know, I, I got, I got a family to take care of and um, coaching AAU, you know, at the skill factory, coaching my son's team, his travel team, um, you know, doing kind of training on the side. And, um, you know, 19, you know, I go to summer league. I, I got to, you know, sit down. And I reconnected with Kobe Carl. Me and him played in Idaho together. We were teammates, reconnected with him. Hadn't seen him probably since we played together. But we kind of, you know, would give a WhatsApp message every now and then. And that's another thing, like never and, – and not just – not just like saying, hey man, can you get me a job? Like, what's just say, what's up, man? How's the family? Like that stuff goes, that stuff matters. That stuff goes a long way, man. Like really having a genuine, like caring about somebody, you know what I mean? And and, and establishing a genuine, genuine relationship. So that's, you know, established like real, because the whole cliche is, you know, in the NBA and the G League, you hire who you know, or who someone you know recommends. So it's it's all through your network, and obviously you have to know what you're doing, but you, but you got to build that network. Um, you know, I was able to build some connections down in Houston. I thought I was going to be, you know, with the Vipers. It was crazy. I went down there, spent a spent a few days down there, you know, with their staff and everything. And um, Coach Mahmoud got hired, and it's crazy, man. I was in D.C. I was actually I I would I started caddying just so I had the the flexibility. Caddying was something I did when I was a kid. And it just gave me the flexibility to work. And then if I needed to like leave and go to summer league or leave to go to an interview, I could. I went down to Houston. I called Kobe Carl for advice. Hey man, like I'm going down here. What should I expect? What should I know? What What do you think? What What would you ask? You know, when you're looking to bring in an assistant, you know, he helped me out. And then 
you know, I did pretty well down there. The next week I get a call from Kobe. Hey man, um, we know we have an opening. Would you want to come out? And um, so I did, I came back a couple of days later, I was on the course. I missed the call from Mahmoud um, from RGV who was calling to basically talk about the job. I missed the call, tried to call him back. I remember I left the course, called Mahmoud, missed him, went to a Chick-fil-A. And when I was leaving Chick-fil-A, Kobe Carr calls me and offered me the job in LA. And you know, that's kind of how it worked. And then Mahmoud called me back like 30 minutes later, like, hey, I'm like, yo, I just got off the phone <laughs> with South Bay and I um and I got the job. So just man, just stay in it. Build your network because it, it's it's a, it's such a relationship business. Um, you know, the your preparation and hard work will take care of yourself, but it's such a relationship business, you know, that's that's how it worked for me. And that's how it that's really how it works for most guys. But you know, stay in and do what you gotta do because like I said, for two years, I went from having nothing to having two job offers in like 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, that's how you never know when it's going to come. And it's not like I woke up that morning, like, I know this is going to happen. Like, you know, I was, it was just like any other day. And then all of a sudden, like, now I had, I had two. Yeah. <laughs> just, just stay in it and build your network, build, build genuine, real relationships, like on, like, actually like giving a damn about someone and not just like what you can do for me relationships because people can tell the difference. And if you're gonna spend, you're gonna spend like six months, like really in the trenches with these guys every day, like you're gonna see them more than your family. So it's, it's gotta be more than just like, you know, it's gotta be more than just what you know about how to guard a pick and roll. No, definitely. And that's such an amazing story about um, how you, you know, weren't getting a lot of offers and then all of a sudden you get two and 30 minutes and how that just happens. And the advice you're giving about the summer league is fantastic because when I went to a scout school event in December in New York city, it was at the Barclays center. I learned a lot there. I was the youngest person in the room and I really built a good network just talking to people. And the biggest thing they said was we have an event in, in the, um, in July uh, at the summer league, you should all sign up. And that's the first thing I did was after I had such a great time at that event, sign yeah. up for the summer league one. That's obviously uh, since been canceled, but that's definitely a fantastic advice on just keeping uh, building that network. No, but no. you know, even what you're doing with your, you know, with your network, building your network, um, you know, I, if you, I don't know if you're going to go into journalism with it, or if you, if you eventually do want to coach or, you know, go into TV or whatever to have, you know, these guys you're talking to now, hell, hopefully in five years, I'll be, you know, up on someone's bench or, you know, or 10 years, I'll be a head coach. And maybe, you know, you'll have, you'll be with Skip Bayless or something like that. If, you know, if that's what you want to do, or you'll, you know, be writing for the athletic or, you know, be like the next Woj or Sham scenario, one of those guys, um, you know, this is this is how it starts. You know, this is this is how your network starts. Like, you know, you get with a hundred coaches, a few of them are gonna make it. A few of them are gonna turn out to, you know, you know, be somebody, or you know, a few of them are gonna end up being an executive. You, you know, one of us may be a GM, one of us may a couple of us might be head coaches one day, and that's somebody, hey, yeah, I remember John, I remember you, you know, I was on your show a few years ago and you know, such and such. So yeah, man, you know, building your network for whatever you want to do. It's 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 really it's really dope. Definitely. That's the, that's the dream. And coach Ernest, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And I really think our listeners got a lot out of this and learned a lot. So I really thank you. No, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, dude. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the big fellows podcast. Check us out on all major social media platforms at big fellows pod to join the chop up. You can also listen to us on every podcast platform on the planet. Stay tuned for the next episode. Big fellas.